Hi there, and welcome to the third episode of Refugee Stories. My name is Jessica Stone, and today we're listening to Muhammad and Amira. Before we start, I just wanted to mention that my last episode with Abdullah is already out of date. The three-year siege of Deir Azur ended on the 7th of September 2017 this year. I hope that quality of life has improved for everybody currently in Deir Azur, including Abdullah's remaining family. I am Hamad. Amira Minhos. Uh, he say that uh, he's from uh, Hamas. Uh, he was like uh, he work in uh, in an oven. He make a bread and yes, uh, a baker. Did you two meet in childhood? Or when did they meet? Uh, they meet in uh, in the engagement of uh, his brother because his his brother he married uh, her sister. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, during the engagement uh, he was very sassy, <laughs> so he just came to and asked him for. How are you? And like, and they just. <laughs> okay. Uh, during uh, he said that during like the love uh, history, yeah, uh, he was in uh, the Syrian army. Yeah. So uh, they still that until for one year, and then he decided to get out from uh, the arm. And just go and ask her parents that I want your daughter. And yeah, so they got mad after one year. What did you think of him when you first met him? Uh, she said that uh, before she don't know that uh, he's the brother of her sister husband. Uh, so just when he came and talked with her, uh, he thinks that uh, he loved from the first, uh, like we say in Arabic, the first eye uh, connotation and like this, you know. Love at first sight. Love at first sight, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that. And uh, yeah, so, uh, and he got married in 1994. <laughs> 1994. Yeah, that's what he told. What were your parents like? Can you tell me about your families a little bit? Okay, he said that uh, he had uh, four brothers and uh, there was a very good relation between them and with the parents. Uh, and uh, they have uh, like a funny thing every Friday in their childhood. So they do like a, a small event in the family house to just uh, renew the relation between the family. Uh, and now uh, he lost two of her brothers in the war in Syria. Uh, and uh, the last. The two brothers and her father and her mother, they still live in Homs and they don't want to come to Lebanon or to another country. Uh, they say to him that uh, we are Syrian and we will never uh, run away from Syria or 
yes, because he said that they love Syria and uh, they cannot live out of Syria. Okay, she said that uh, there was five uh, sisters and three brothers, uh, and she said that uh, only her father, like the father and the mother, because uh, her mother was dead in a cancer, since that there was like, kids, so uh, they have a one, he say that one human with mother and father. Uh, and they love him very, and uh, they have a very lovely relation between them and between their family. Uh, and now uh, all of uh, her brothers and sisters, they got married in Syria and they still live in Syria. All of them? Wow. Yeah, all of them. Yes, only her, she came with her husband here to live in Lebanon. Why have they all stayed in Syria? They search for a safety area in Syria, uh, away from uh, the war. They love to live in Syria and they don't love to come to Lebanon. So they decide to just stay in a safety until uh, in a safety place until the war, maybe I don't know, end of the war. How did you come to Lebanon? عم تسألك أي تيم جيتوا على لبنان من قد كم سنة تجيتوا؟ from three years ago since her own city come down. In the first episode, Khansa's story, I talked about Hamas and what's been happening there. Mohammed and Amira are from the same area. Uh, but uh, after the beginning of the war, he came here to Lebanon. And uh, at first he lived uh, with her uh, seven members of her family in a track. A track? You know the track? Oh, like a running track? Exactly. So, yeah, because they don't have any, any space to, to sit. I think I've mentioned before that the settlements are kind of everywhere. This is exactly what I mean by that. Uh, he said that uh, he has two daughters, uh, one for 18 years old and the second one for 15 years old, and uh, the both are got married here in Lebanon because uh, he decided to get him married because uh, he don't have uh, a lot of space in her tent for a big family, and also daughters need money, so he cannot do that. So they decided to let him get married. Okay, uh, uh, now uh, there are 11 members in the same tent. Uh, these 11 are him and uh, her wife. And how uh, many Six kids and uh, her, two her two daughters because uh, the, the relation between uh, their husbands are not good, so uh, they come back to live with her dad. And uh, the first daughter, she has two kids, and the second one, she has one kid, so they live all of them in the, one, in the same tent. 
They say that uh, the most thing that they are proud of is uh, her kids. So she, yeah, well, they think that uh, it's very proudly that they can engagement and uh, have babies in these bad times. So. They are proud of this. Okay, uh, he thinks that the most important thing is like uh, to be with a good relation with her kids and let him uh, be educated because uh, uh, he said that uh, in Syria when uh, a dad, he dead, uh, so people, they will say that, oh, look, this is uh, the kids of Muhammad or of whatever, and they are a good kids. So that's the most important thing that we should uh, be with the good parents. Yeah. So ha ha like have a very good kids and exist. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's alright, but uh, he said that uh, also the must think that uh, should uh, any father learn learn to her kids is uh, to maybe don't care about uh, the religion kinds of people because uh, he say we are all a human and uh, there's no reason to, to care about the religion of other, other peoples because, because each human has her own religion and he can do whatever he wants so don't care about the other religion just live as a human but that's the most important for him what were you guys like as children they speak about uh, his childhood so uh, he said that the most happy moment for him is uh, on the Eid time. Yeah, so uh, when for two or three days from the Eid, so uh, her parents went to a big shop to buy for him uh, a lot of clothes for the Eid. So uh, he cannot sleep until the Eid came and met his clothes. So it was so funny and so happy for him. <laughs> <laughs> Same story, but uh, <laughs> she put uh, on the night of Zaid, she put uh, her clothes uh, near her uh, on the bed and she sleep and when the sunrise came, so he quickly take her clothes and go to the neighbors in the area when she was living and uh, start from the the door and <laughs> yeah, you know, look uh, to say that people look. I'm with the new clothes and like this. Uh, uh, he said that he went before the school, but uh, he don't love school and uh, he wake up in the morning and tell her parents that mom and dad I'm going to the school, but uh, he don't go to, go to school. He go to like uh, a play area in, in her uh, room where they was living with her friends and start playing after uh, the school end in the day and then they come back to home. 
لا كان وضعي تمام ايه بحب المدرسه بس درست للسادس بس شي لاف ذا سكول بات شي دو لايك جاست هير فيرست فور ييرز ان سكول بيكوز ذا سكول وير ديد ذي ليف جاست هاف ذيس فيرست ثري ييرز سو she should come back to home and help her mother and her father in work because it's very far away yeah. the good school where they live okay. uh, she speak about the Lebanese people uh, she said that here in this area they don't love uh, the Syrian and especially the Syrian girls and they do a bad thing with the Syrian girls, you know. So, yes, uh, she said that uh, it's a big problem for the refugees here. And she particularly feels it herself as a woman, that she feels... Exactly, that's what he said, that uh, uh, she, she's not available to maybe let her, their girls go to the school or whatever if he want to send them to a shop to buy something for the tent so she's scared about this because uh, here the relation between the Lebanese and uh, especially she say the Syrian girls refugee girls are very bad and they hate them yeah. uh, I say that since about three years uh, only beyond because they came and helped them and now salam that's all and uh, he speak about uh, the UN card uh, he says that sometimes he should buy this uh, this card for some people just to take money for uh, pay for the rent of the tent because so he uh, like he decide to now I should pay for the land. Then after after that, I see that if I can buy some food for my family. I think that Hassan made a translation error here, and he actually meant that they sell the use of their UNHCR cards, which means that they use their UNHCR card to buy food for somebody else, and then use that money to pay the rent. I couldn't find any figures on how common this is. It's true that donations of food and clothes are often sold onwards because it's impossible to get the exact sizes for everybody. So many refugees are either left with clothes and shoes that don't fit or types of food that they don't like to eat. And so they sell it in order to make some money that they can spend on something they really need, like urgent medicine or rent. Uh, and uh, he speak about uh, her daughter and uh, so yesterday he got uh, a new baby and uh, she's unregistered so uh, he said that yeah there should be some NGO that helps like these cases here because there's no NGOs that they help them. Did they deliver the baby at home or in hospital? in the hospital. baby in the hospital and they pay $200 for the hospital. No, the hospital asked him for $200, but they don't have 
جسماني سو ذا هوسبيتال تيك ذا بيبر اوف هير دوتر انتل زي كان فاوند ذا ماني اند جيف ات تو ذا هوسبيتال اند ذا هوسبيتال جيف هيم هير بيبر ريلي از ذس كومن؟ يا سمتايمز يا شكرا للسماء جزراء الامم الموافقه بعد ما بيسكلي The UNHCR is meant to cover 75% of delivery costs, and refugees should pay the rest. It seems probable that Mohammed and Amira's daughter needed to have a C-section, because for caesareans, the families pay 200 US dollars, and UNHCR covers 500 US dollars. It's important to remember that Lebanon in general has a highly privatized healthcare system, and therefore everything is incredibly expensive. In fact, Healthcare in Lebanon is so expensive that UNHCR has its biggest healthcare budget ever in the history of the organization, specifically for refugees in Lebanon. They paid $50 million for healthcare in Lebanon just last year alone. Of course, $200 for a refugee is a lot of money, so many hospitals are worried that the refugees won't pay it. This means that some refugees are rejected outright from healthcare or they're required to pay a deposit up front. Or, as in the case of Mohammed and Amira's granddaughter, the hospital sometimes keeps the birth registration paperwork until the bills are paid, which is, of course, incredibly difficult for the average refugee family. In the Bekar Valley, the average daily wage is about $9 a day, and the average worker works 12 days a month, which means that the monthly wage is about $108. So paying off even a $200 bill is a big task and can take families months. Which is a problem because they only have 12 months to finish the birth registration. And of course, all of this is made much more complex if the families have any other debts or ongoing medical issues. The average debt for a household in the Bekar Valley is $900 US dollars. And what happens if the child isn't registered? Well, it means that they're stateless. Usually the parents don't want this to happen, so some people have returned to Syria to register the child there, in a system they know and understand. Or sometimes people pay for certificates from Syria, knowing that they might not be legitimate. Or they just outright pay for fake certificates, and hope that that'll work. Obviously, none of these are great options, and they can have serious long-term consequences. When did you realize how much things had changed at home in Syria? What was the moment that made you realize you had to leave home? Uh, he said that uh, when the Syrian army came and stayed around uh, her city for about seven months, and uh, they cannot go out from the city, and there's no work and no foods and nothing, So they decide to run away from her areas because they need food and they need work and they need money. So that's the moment that they decide to go from her city and from her home. Uh, he say that uh, in the beginning they decide to stay in her home, in Homes, but after they got a bomb near her home, so There's no safety train, so uh, they sent her only the girls with the Red Cross here to Lebanon. The Red Cross, they helped them to came to Lebanon. 
and uh, the men they work for three days from Hamas to the Syrian border, uh, and then the when they came to the border, so the Red Cross they came and take him to the safety places here in Lebanon. Yeah. I asked the Red Cross if they ever did this, because what Muhammad is telling me is quite different to what other refugees told me. Kansa herself, for instance, walked over the mountains, as you'll remember from the first episode. The Red Cross confirmed that they've never done this or anything like it. I also contacted the Red Crescent in Syria, who weren't able to confirm this part of his story either. So I don't know exactly what Muhammad is talking about here. It was very difficult and also very dangerous because uh, uh, when they are walking in the mountain and like this, so they got some bombs from, I don't know which side in Syria, but they got some bombs and uh, some, some of people, they shoot some of them and uh, a lot of people was dead in this walking yeah, uh, and also because they don't have any water and any food, so it was very hard for him until they arrived to the borders and uh, they got some help from Lebanese and from the Red Cross. From her family, he's alone because the law, like the law of this trip, to do this trip is. Uh, to be uh, more than 18 years old. So yeah, you can do it if you are more than 18 years old and uh, there are a lot of people with him. But only from her family, he's alone. Okay, and so the rest of the family followed afterwards once he had found a place? No, uh, he came uh, by the help of the Red Cross. Mm. Because in the beginning, uh, so the government let the Red Cross went to to Hamas or to whatever, which area, and take only the babies and uh, the women. Yeah. So they came before him here to Lebanon. And after that, he decided to do this, to walk and to the borders and came to Lebanon. Okay, uh, he said that uh, people, they should uh, accept living whatever if they have uh, a lot or a little, if it's money or whatever, if what is it, just live. So that, that's what uh, he learned in life. Just live, whatever you are, just live. Okay, they agree both of them that the most happiness day for him is uh, when they got engagement <laughs> and uh, they got uh, married. He said that honestly, uh, we are married for 24 years, maybe. Uh, so all her life, he never let him be sad or 
something like that and uh, he loved her very much and she loved her so he hoped that uh, they will continue her life with this relation uh, he hoped uh, or first he said that we don't have we don't need anything from the life in the future for me and for my wife. We just want uh, a safety and uh, a good life for our kids. And uh, for the woman, she said that uh, she hoped that she can come back to her country and meet uh, again her family and her neighbors. That was the third episode of Refugee Stories. This episode was made in association with Salam LADC, which is a wonderful local NGO working in the Bekaa Valley right now, with many of the refugees that I've interviewed. If you'd like to contribute money to Muhammad and Amira, their settlement, or people like them, please go to www.salamladc.org. That's www.salamladc.org. LADC.org. Of course, all statements are my own and not to be blamed on Salam in any way. They merely provided the support for this project of mine and should not be held responsible for my political beliefs or probable errors and misunderstandings. This episode was sponsored by Hindenburg Audio Suite, the fantastic audio editing program that was used in the making of this episode. Thank you to Hassan Chubasi for translating, to Guillaume Jiménez Villa for being my infield assistant, and of course, to Miguel Isotto Sanchez. Thank you to Alpha Male, Axel Tree, Amra Ez, Banda Comunali and Internazionali, Shazar and Montplacier for their music. Thank you also to Mohammed and Amira and all the other refugees who let me into their homes and told me their stories. I can only hope that these stories go out into the world and help others to understand the situation. And finally, my name is Jessica Stone. I'm the writer and producer of this podcast. Thank you for listening to Muhammad and Amira's story. <laughs>